Hello and welcome to the first episode of Full Motion Game Dev, the game development podcast for the more niche genres out there and some more weirder, stranger games with a DIY punk rock um, way of getting your games out there and marketing, etc. My name is Nick Box. I was an independent filmmaker for over 15 years and I've now switched from indie filmmaker to indie game developer. Uh, So today in this first episode is just going to be like a bit of background on me and why I started this podcast, what I want to achieve from it and getting you into the loop to where I am now and um, why I think this podcast is a great idea. And what I want to learn from it. In future episodes, I'm going to have uh, guests. I've already got some great developers lined up to talk to me on the show, as well as some other figures from the gaming industry. So, um, we'll start off today just with a little bit of a backstory about me. So, um, like I said before, I've been an independent filmmaker for over 15 years. And um, I've also, when it comes to gaming, uh, my gaming experience is... I've been a gamer my whole life, Um, I'm now 41, almost 42 years old, and I've spent 20 years in uh, video game retail as my day jobs, Um, fluctuating right since the 90s, right up until about four years ago when I finally stopped working in games retail completely, Uh, but I've worked for companies such as Electronics Boutique, who became game and were just transitioning from Future Zone when I started. I did five years of Blockbusters, I've worked for several independent game shops, and I've also worked for for CEX. So I've got some games retail, but that's like the only sort of uh, real sort of games industry experience I had. Uh, I'm more of a film buff myself. as well as a gamer, but films were always my, my first passion. Um, as a child, I was bullied. I didn't have many friends, um, so I basically spent my days watching movies and playing video games, and that was my my life. In the summer holidays, I'd cycle my bike from one video shop to the next. I'd hang about helping out in the, in the video stores, and when the staff had enough of me, they'd give me a free rental. I'd get back on my bike and I'd cycle to the next video shop and do the same. And I'd get free games and free films to rent. So that's how I kind of educated myself. I always wanted, I always wanted to become a filmmaker. I didn't really know how. Um, I wanted to make games as well. But back in the 90s, it wasn't as easy as it is now. Uh, I was never really one for coding. Um, I'd, I'd made a few things with some friends on like... Um, Amiga, Amos, and I used to do like the basic stuff on uh, my Spectrum and my Commodore 64, uh, but I wasn't uh, ever that a fay with games. Uh, in the early 2000s, I made a little bit with Game Maker, but I'll come on to that in a later date. This is more, at the moment, the story of how I fell into filmmaking and how this then transitioned into games. So, um, yeah, I was a huge film nut, massive film nut. Um, and I always wanted to make movies and was told by countless people I couldn't make movies. So I plodded along in my day jobs, working in game shops and doing other jobs here and there. Um, got involved in music for a few years, uh, putting on promoting gigs. And then in, in the early 2000s, um, by this point, I'd, I knew enough about getting into independent film. And I, I was idolising... Uh, filmmakers like Kevin Smith and companies like Troma, uh, particularly Troma, uh, with their whole sort of trash ethic. And um, 
decided I was gonna that was it I was gonna make movies um I was gonna get whatever camera I could and by any means possible I was gonna make movies and I started making short films very weird abstract short films most of them about suicide and cheery subjects like that because a lot of it was done on my own um and then uh, I got into a relationship and that relationship fell through and at this point I was in my mid-20s and um Decided I was going to just take myself off to university and do the mature student thing. So I went to, to university and instead of just doing like a filmmaking course, I did a um, multimedia technology course uh, with special effects for movies so I could get more into like a niche. And whilst I was at uni, um, <clears throat> I had a, a fi- like to prepare for my final project. Now, I say I was a gamer as well as a, well as a movie fan and obviously I was doing a multimedia course so I was looking to try and do something that would incorporate both my loves, games and movies. Um, so I pitched as my final project to do an FMV game because um, I was really into games like Night Trap and Double Switch. Um, I was a mega CD kid, so I was really into that sort of stuff, you know, interactive movies and FMV. And um, for a year, I worked on making uh, an FMV game uh, as my final project for uni. But as the year wrapped up, um, my um, lecturer that was in charge of the project was saying, look, I really think you've bitten off more than you can chew here. And um, in the end, I switched my final project from being an FMV game uh, to turning a video into animation to get a, a rotoscoped um, Scanner Dartley look. So I made a short film um, that that used this um, rotoscope technique. And at the same time, for another project, me and a friend of mine, we made a um, a mini feature film, a 45-minute feature film, called Dracula vs. the Ninja on the Moon. Now, Dracula vs. the Ninja was basically our homage to B-movies. And um, it was a mixture of, like, 50s B-movies and Godfrey Ho cut and paste ninja movies. We wanted to make this thing like, as bad as it possibly could. Our project was to make a, I think a five minute film. We made a 45 minute film. So we made this crazy Dracula versus the ninja film and um, showed it to a few friends, made a couple of DVD art copies and went about a year at university. And um, all of a sudden, people keep coming up to me on campus saying, you're the guy that made that crazy Dracula Ninja movie. And um, I was like, yeah, have you seen that? And it turns out that small groups of stoners and um, people coming back from, from parties were going back to their shared houses and watching this crazy little film that me and my friend had made. And... Um, before I knew it, the film had like a, quite a small following around around campus and around the city uh, that we lived in, and um, so I, that was where I really sort of first time had a taste of like a legit sort of following for my films. And after that, I got I got the buzz for it, and I wanted to like go out and make you know bigger and better films. Now, obviously, I'm big into my horror. Uh, we're talking this is the mid to mid to mid mid late two thousands. Uh, sort of just before the 2010s, so sort of 2008, sort of 2009 sort of time. And um, obviously Grindhouse was really big. And um, everyone was making Grindhouse-style films. 
So an exploit, I'd fallen into the whole exploitation thing. I was getting really a big interest into exploitation cinema. Uh, so I was looking to uh, what could be exploited, and um, I decided that you know when it's something would be mildly offensive. So I chose Jesus, <laughs> and um, we made a. Um, I decided to make a um, grindhouse film about a killer Jesus. Uh, I, I had some friends that knew some punks that lived in a squat, and. We teamed up with them, wrote this very, very sort of skeleton script, um, and in four days shot this film, Brutal Jesus. And now this was, the budget for this film was insane. It was a, a budget of £10. Um, so from my American listeners, sort of 15 20 bucks. And um, all we really spent the money on was a Bible and a bed sheet for the Jesus costume. Uh, the intention was, as we were still at university at the time, was to borrow cameras from there so we could shoot it on some pretty decent cameras <coughs> excuse me i have to edit that bit out um but it was the end of term so we couldn't get the cameras so we shot it on whatever we could so it was like camcorders and uh really early mobile phones and vhs this film was shot on whatever we ever we could find and over four days we created this exploitation film about this killer jesus that killed a bunch of punks in the house and um, finished filming it, uh, finished up university, left university, went home, edited this film. And um, at the time I was doing a bit of YouTube and I was um, uh, in the horror and DVD update community. So I, I sent out a few copies of this film. And before I knew it, um, we put the film on sale and the film blew up. And over the course of a year... We'd sold over 3,000 copies of this um, film about a killer Jesus. And it really sort of like just took off. Um, it, it, it wasn't a massive money maker. I mean, that sounds like a lot of copies, but the way the copies were sold, um, they were sold for not much more than it was costing to print because it was, you know, DVDs back then. And a lot of the sales were international so we didn't work the postage out right and i'm not saying we didn't make any money on it but it didn't make us a fortune um you know i mean like when you think about it if uh, if we if we done it right it might have made us a little bit more money but it got it got the word out and sort of established me as a filmmaker um so from the back of that i took what little money i had made from it and started churning out these trashy little movies um they were technically feature films because they were over 45 minutes long uh which anything over 45 minutes is technically classed as a feature believe it or not uh, even though popular belief is it's got to be over 60 minutes but no it's actually over 45 minutes is technically a feature um but the films i was making would range between 45 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes and um i was churning these films out left right and center um a lot of them with like mildly offensive titles or very offensive titles that I'll get to later on uh, down the line. And um, I, I, I'd grown a bit of a following um, internationally uh, for these films I made. And um, all of a sudden, you know, I'd, I'd left university. I couldn't find a job in the film industry. couldn't find a job in uh, any software companies or any game companies. So I was literally just churning out these films working a little day job. Uh, I was in my late 20s, early 30s at this point. I'd moved back home with my parents and I was just basically churning out 
these little horror movies and trash movies every every month or every couple of months like and uh, we made films like Wrath of the Violent Vicar, Terror Telly, um, Suicide Preachers. Um, the the list was endless. Uh, we, we I made so many of these little films, and um, I teamed up with some other filmmakers and formed like a collective. And uh, I was getting involved in projects all over the world. And the next the next step from there was then to shoot uh, a more legitimate feature so in 2012 i um i, I did a bit of a bit of crowdfunding and i raised a few thousand pounds and I, I i made a film in four days called she's dead now this was a um comedy horror uh, film set in real time uh, about three guys trying to get rid of a uh, corpse and um it all turns a bit funny um and it wasn't it was a it was a bit more mainstream than the other stuff I'd done. It was still pretty trashy and pretty dark, but it was it wasn't just like all out just shock, which I'd been going for with my previous films. It was a little bit more, you know, of a legitimate film. And I made this film, and uh, I shot it in the August. And by Halloween, I wanted to premiere it, and I'd managed to at this point get a big enough recognition that I was getting invited to go to um, conventions to be a guest. And I'd been invited to go to a horror convention in Germany uh, on that Halloween. So the idea was I wanted to get the film finished and taken to Germany with me in the October. So I shot it the last weekend of August and exactly two months to the day I shot it, I was premiering it in a local cinema which played it for the, for a day and then I was off to Germany to um, promote, you know, to promote this film. And from there, things really shot up. Now, this was the early 2010s, 2012. So DVD was still quite a viable option. Um, and people were still buying DVDs. And there was a, a bit of a cult scene. I'd managed to slot myself into this sort of horror community online that was growing on, like, Facebook and YouTube. So I had um, sort of a ready-made fan base there for me. And um, I made a few more films. And now, after She's Dead, it, it did well. It won me some awards. Uh, it won a, a Best best um, English Language Film in Germany. It got picked up for DVD distribution in the States. Wound up in a, a box set of four of my films that uh, ended up uh, being available in places like Walmart and stuff which I eventually found in a bargain bin in Walmart in a trip to the States a few years later. So that was quite exciting. Um, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, I've not got COVID. I've just, um, I'm, a, I'm a dirty smoker. And uh, yeah, I had a cigarette just before this and my chest doesn't agree with me. So yeah, I've got to stop smoking. That's another thing I need to do on this podcast. But anyway, back to um, my adventures. So yeah, um, where did I get to? So I'd, won some awards with She's Dead. It'd become on the it had a worldwide DVD distribution and um it was getting really good reviews. Um so this sort of took my filmmaking up to the next level. I still had this fan base that were craving more of the trashier films that I, I made. Uh The Brutal Jesus and stuff like that. And people wanted these more extreme horrors. And uh, now it wasn't something now 
I was massively into. I like some extreme movies, but I'm not. I'm not really a massive. Well, I love my horror. I'm not really a massive extreme guy, but people wanted me to make something extreme, uh, and I couldn't just go out and make a film about killing and rape and murder, and because I'm not that kind of guy. Um, but I am someone that likes to shock. So at the same time, I was having a lot of problems with. Um, censorship in films like my films could be released in america and other countries around the world but i couldn't actually release my films in the uk because of our censorship laws you have to pay a lot of money it was a lot more money than what i got for making. you know i spent on making these films i was making them for virtually nothing um to get your film certified to legally be able to sell it in the uk so i wanted to make a film about censorship but I also wanted something that would be offensive. So I made a film with the infamous title, Don't, Please Don't uh, Judge Me on This, Guys, because it's, it's, it's a film about censorship, not really about what the content you'd imagine it to be. I made a film called Mr. Rape's First Date. I wanted to make something so absurd and extreme sounding that, you know, it was a whole statement on the censorship. And it worked. I made this film, and... Um, I, it got good reviews. People liked it. It was it was very arty, very out there, um, but it was more, it was about a world without censorship and um, what some someone could do with a bit of like media in a world with no media. What would happen if it corrupted someone? And I made this film, and I got praised for it, um, but I also got a bit of controversy, which again got my name on the map. Um, and I carried on from there. I went back to making some more sort of like mainstreamy, well, more mainstream accessible movies. Uh, still very odd and out there. So from that point moment onwards, I would churn out films. From the years 2010 to 2015, I did fairly well selling my films on DVD. Then I passed them on to distribution. would never see a penny from the distributors, uh, but my films would get out there. Um, I'd made, uh, in amongst all this, I made a documentary with the rock star Andrew WK, and um, that film went fairly viral because we took him to a safari park and he went a bit crazy in a safari park and um, said all sorts of weird stuff about the animals. And uh, this film got a bit of a buzz about it. It premiered in Germany, and then the next thing I knew, it'd been accepted into the Cannes Film Festival in 2014. So in 2014, I went off to the Cannes Film Festival, and I premiered this film out there, or played this film out there because it already premiered in Germany, and eventually struck a deal with um, the company that inspired me in the first place, Troma. So I signed the film off to Troma, so I'd kind of like, you know, come full, full circle. I'd, the company that inspired me eventually released one of my films, and that was great. Uh, amongst all of that madness, I'd fallen in love and moved from one part of the country to another part of the country to be with my partner. And um, the filmmaking slowed up a little bit. I was still making movies, but wasn't churning them out quite as much because I had, a, you know, I, I had a partner to look after and. The DVD world was sort of dwindling, and um, it was very hard to make a film, even for like zero budget, um, because it was it was very hard to get any money back from the films. And any money I did get back, I was still going to a lot of conventions and festivals. So 
all the money I was making from films, I was using to go out and promote the films. And um, the filmmaking sort of slowed down. And then my interest for making games peaked again. Um, I always wanted to, like I said, I, you know, I was always into games and films, and I didn't really didn't really have the resources when I was younger to learn how to make games. But through the power of the internet, I taught myself a few gaming uh, engines and started to make games. And it was harder for me to go out and make films, but I could quite easily um, take part in a game jam for a weekend or something. You know, uh, at home I could still be creative. Um, but I wouldn't need to leave the house. I wouldn't need to assemble a crew. I could just sit there on my computer and enter game jams. So I, I did that for a couple of years, from about 2015 to 2017, 2018. I think the last one I did was in 2018, but yeah. So about two or three years, I'd entered game jams. Um, mainly pretty simple games. Um, but it, it, it piqued my interest into... Uh, game development and from around 2015 onwards um i'm because obviously i'm a creative person i've always been really interested in the game development scene so when it comes to indie games sometimes i'm more a fan of like uh the developers and the process than i am of the actual games um you know i've watched countless documentaries about game development and followed so many game developers on twitter for the last sort of five years that um i'm more interested in the whole sort of game dev scene even though i wasn't really part of that scene uh, it was something it was a scene i followed you know i had my, my sort of sort of sort of favorite developers and engines and all this you know and uh I kept up with it all, so I was. I've always been someone that's played a big interest in the in the um, game development scene. So, as the years have gone on, it was something I wanted to push myself further into, but it was always quite tricky because of work and my partner, and we go we go away a lot. You know, we like to go to the states, and I've got many hobbies. You know, I'm still I'm still making the odd film, and. Um, I was still holding on to something that um, back in 2012 when I started making a name for myself I was approached by two filmmakers and they were from London and they wanted to make a documentary about me making these films for very little money and for five years they followed me everywhere like all over Europe um, to all the major events I went to uh, they captured me meeting my partner and sort of followed the whole journey of me moving from one end of the country to the next. Uh, they had a producer on board who had sold the rights to his last film to Jack Black to make a remake of. And they had all these like waivers for all these big like film festivals. And they were really promising that this like film they were making about me, um, was going to open some doors for me now obviously being involved in the uh, independent film scene for the length of time i was it was something that was always full of false promises you know i've been promised budgets and deals and interviews and all sorts of stuff over the years and i learned not to get too excited about any of them because 90 percent of the time these are just false promises that don't ever come into fruition but i with this documentary, you know, I was so taken back by it 
um, and excited, you know, that these guys had, had were paying so much attention and money. I mean, they must have spent more money on this documentary um, than I've spent on every film I've ever made put together um, just for them to make this, this film about my life. And um, eventually in 2017, um, they showed me a cut of the film and uh i liked it. it was it was it was good it didn't um didn't paint me in a bad light it didn't paint me as like a hero or anything you know it didn't nothing to make me super pretentious or, or anything like that it, it showed it did show my flaws um and i did they didn't use all the footage i knew they had you know there was some of the highs of my career um that i knew they had on camera that they didn't include in the documentary but I get it from a storytelling point of view and I was quite excited about this documentary. Now I think all along I was always holding out for hopefully this this film about me uh opening some doors for me and like taking you know me to the next level but the whole time my filmmaking was starting to really slow down because my life had gone in different directions and um <clears throat> it wasn't as easy for me to go out and make a film as it used to be. Uh, I mean, it, it was, I have, you know, I've got the equipment, I've got friends and stuff, but I think the passion had died down a little bit and that whole mad scene I'd found myself into and also knowing that, like, it would be so difficult for me to fund the film in these, these this day and age because it wasn't like before when I could sell a bucket load of DVDs of one of my crazy titled films. So, eventually, like, some stuff happened in my life in 2017, some pretty dark stuff. And it was at that point I realised that this documentary wasn't ever going to come out. Um, you know, they they finished the film and they'd moved on to other projects. And it was just sort of like pushed to one side, you know. And I mean, every so often I check in with them and they say one day we'll release it. But I don't know if they will. But I think I was always holding on for that as like my sort of last sort of snatch at um, achieving something bigger in the film industry and once I let go of that I realised you know that I've made this catalogue of films I've made friends and fans all over the world and um, I'm really proud of what I achieved as a filmmaker but I still want to tell stories I still want to um, you know I still want to be creative I'm a creative person and this game dev thing was like, you know, becoming more of a passion than films. Like, you know, whereas I used to follow a lot of filmmakers, I was obsessively following game, you know, game, game development. Uh, I'd go on to YouTube and instead of watching someone talking about their movie collection, I'd be watching someone do a talk at GDC or, um, you know, or someone talking about an engine and coding that I had no clue about, but I was just fascinated by it all. So the, the, the game development was really sort of coming back in. And I, you know, I, I'd made some game jam games, a lot of very simplistic stuff, but it was enough for me to um, really start putting put the games first and the film second and in 2017 i had some dark stuff going on and i um randomly released a game that i'd made for a game jam a year or two previous 
as a physical release um, in a Facebook group. It was like a private private Facebook group uh, for shoot 'em up games because I'm a big shoot 'em up fan. And um, I did like a limited release using the um, resources I had from the the films, the company that print my DVDs. I uh, basically got them to print me up some copies of this game. Now it's a really basic dodge 'em up game. It was about a fried egg in hell that I'd made um, on a game in a game jam. Um, but it had cool music, some chip tunes music I'd made with an old Game Boy. And um, <clears throat> I knew these guys in these groups were like, you know, really into that sort of stuff. I was a bit low on funds. I was a bit low in my head because I was going through some dark stuff. That I just thought, as a creative little project, I'll put out a limited run of these games. And it sold really well. It sold really well. I mean, I think I sold about 50 copies of a game that hadn't even been downloaded 50 times off of itch. You know, so <laughs> more people own a physical copy of it than people that actually have downloaded it from its itch page. And um, it had the soundtrack with it, and people were happy with it. You know, I mean, I don't think everybody played it. I think for the most part, people just bought it as a collector's like item, but it sold. And I felt, oh, well, here you go. I've legitimately released a game now, whether it not being a great game, but it was just, you know, I'd legitimately released a game. And... Um, it was it was a really good achievement, you know. I'd gone. F I felt like I had gone from making films to making games, but then not much happened after that. I'd continued to like religiously watch game development and follow it. Um, I was still dabbling in a little bit of film making, uh, putting a few documentaries together here and there, and um, doing the odd bit for some anthology films whenever I'd get asked to. So filmmaking was still going, and then last year, myself and my partner, we had, a, had our first child, and uh, he was born last August, um, a year ago this week, uh, it's his first birthday this week, and um, so now I spend a lot of time up at night, and um, I was really sort of then thinking, I, I want to be creative, I want to get back into the creative side of things. And this is when I finally, uh, I mean, I've been thinking about this for a year or so, but I finally started um, to realise that over the years of making films, I had so much content, so much footage, and so many unfinished projects that I could repurpose these. Now, last January in 2019, I, um, I started to flirt with the idea of making an interactive game. However, even though I'd had some game-making experience, I was a bit clueless on... So I'm very clueless on, on, on coding. I'm, I'm not one for coding. I, I, I understand the basics of coding, and I can sit and watch someone on Twitch or on YouTube code for hours, but when it comes to actually doing it myself, I get really confused. <laughs> and um, I've been trying to work out how to make an FMV game... Um, you know, most of the programs I had. And I, I could get as far as getting a video to play and a button to click in some programs. But then whenever it was coming to play the next video or get branching sorted out, it would always become a mess. So I decided to think out of the box a little bit. And I um, had this uh, weird art film that I'd 
been working on for years about a guy that goes in an elevator and uh, he gets in this elevator and it, it just continuously goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up for ages and then every so often uh, the doors open and something really strange happens and then it goes further up until eventually by the end of it he's so insane that it stops on the level where he's supposed to be and all this weird crazy madness happens and um, I'd made like several cuts of the film and one cut was virtually like unintelligible of what it actually was. It was literally just a guy for an hour and a half pretty much going up in a lift. And I had this crazy, crazy idea that I'd put this really weird cut of this film onto Amazon Prime, hide loads of subliminal shit in, in the film, put out some clues online... And then sort out some sort of like weird treasure hunt for people to find the other cuts of the film online that would then make the whole thing make sense. Now, it's a really pretentious idea of mine, uh, really out there, really pretentious idea. But I, I, I don't know, at the time, I just thought this, it, I, I, you know, you know, what it's like when you come up with a mad idea and you're sitting there and you can, this is great, this is great. So I released this film in early 2019 uh, on Amazon. And uh, then I spoke to some like um, film journalists on you and got them to put out a few like hints out on the internet. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't work. Um, people just watched it as a weird film. Um, it got some good reviews from some people that were saying it was a really interesting experimental film. And other people were saying, like, what the fuck is this? You know, what what the hell has this guy made? This is, like, nonsense. Um, and no one followed any of the clues. And these other cuts of the film that I had floated about there on the internet, no one ever found. And they just sat unwatched online. And um, there was cuts on my hard drive. And this, this, it, just, it just backfired completely. Um it did make me £80 over a year of people viewing it on Amazon. It made £80. So I made a bit of money from this weird experiment that went wrong. Um, but, yeah, it, it backfired. It was, this, it was a weird, like, sort of treasure hunt game that I'd come up with because I didn't sit and spend half an hour working out how to actually make an interactive uh, film with some of the engines that I used. If I'd done that in the first place, maybe it would have taken off. So anyway, after that, I then thought, right, well, I like this idea. So I spoke to a uh, local game dev girl I know. I said, look, I want to make an interactive FMV uh, game out of this footage I had. And she's like, well, I can do it, but I'm finishing my university degree at the moment. And I've also got a game in the works. So I can help you out, but it'll be further down the line. Then I had my baby and... Um, then I had sleepless nights for a year. So whilst I was on my sleepless nights, that's when I really started to knuckle down with the engines I had and learn how to make FMV games. And it, believe it or not, it was fairly easy. Um, I'm still learning now. Uh, each project I try, I'm using different engines. Um, but yeah, I, I finally mastered how to do it. So I then set about creating FMV games and going through um, all of my films that I, I had. 
I got the rights back to a lot of my films that were caught up um, in distribution for years. And I worked out that I had enough um, to make eight projects uh, based on uh, these uh, films that I'd made and unfinished films. I could turn them into interactive movies and FMV games, all with very different mechanics. Um, and over the last couple of months, I've been sat at home and when I'm on a night shift at work, working on these games, which have now become games. I have three projects complete already, uh, unreleased, but I have three projects already completed. Or when I say completed, they are, they are, they're playable from start to finish. There's things I want to add to them uh, and polish on them before I release them, but I've got three playable games already in the last few months, and they're three very different games. One is your standard interactive movie. <coughs> it plays. It was a film that I shot years ago that I shot two completely different cuts of, and I had loads of additional footage, so I managed to carve a few different paths and um, got an interactive movie there that's completely different each, each route you go through the, through the film. And that is just an essential... That's a simple interactive movie it's like plays a scene gets to the end of the scene two options come up you click one you click the other and you go either way and um that was the first one you know very simple but it, it's fun and it adds you know I was, it is a film that's previously been released but there's there's unseen footage then there was another one which is this uh infamous elevator one uh which plays more like uh, a mega cd game so there's a guy in an elevator, you've got a, um, a madness level, and the idea is you have to fuck with this guy while he's in this elevator, and the more you mess with him, the more his insanity goes up, and then he eventually gets to the 14th floor where he's supposed to go. Uh, again, completely different mechanics to the, to the game before, uh, and that's another game I made. And then the third game I made was more of a jump scare game, um, which was using footage I'd shot with my nephew four years ago, and um, it, for a short that I was using for an anthology, that I converted into um, basically a jump scare game, a bit like a dumbed down Five Nights at Freddy's, I suppose, uh, about this little boy in the dark. Uh, and I've got so many more projects in the pipeline that I can put out. So my my current plan is to um, get these eight projects made and released um, and see where it takes me. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not setting out to make a mint from game development. Um, you know, these, my, my niche, I mean, this podcast is all about niche gaming and obviously my niche is FMV at the moment. Um, so, you know, I'm not setting out to, to, to make a mint, but I'm going out to learn how to, repurpose these films into uh, interactive games and uh, release them out there and see if there is a market for it. Uh, you know, some of these films I've, I've already made money on uh, in the past. They're not a lot, but they have, they have had their purpose. Uh, if I can get it to the stage where I can earn a little bit each month, and maybe cut my hours down in my in my normal job. That would be fantastic. If not, I've got a new creative uh, output. Um, you know, and getting I can legitimately call myself a game developer because I'm now making these interactive movies and getting them out there. Um, and I feel that I learned a lot through my years of 
making films that I can also apply to making games and not just for myself but for others and I'm sure there's others out there that have got useful tips for me that I can apply whilst making these games um, you know to better that so the whole purpose of this podcast is for me to speak to people learn what they're doing share some of my DIY tips of you know how I ran a independent film studio 15 years um and compare the two so I take something and get something you know and that's where this podcast really is going to start so uh this is the first episode that's been a bit of a backstory about uh my me and how I how I got to this point um I hope it interested some of you and I hope you stick around for episode two uh where I'll have a guest lined up for that one and um yeah i mean we're, we're, we're gonna go from there really so this has been the full motion game dev podcast um follow me on twitter and F- nick fmv game dev um and uh yeah um we go from there so very laid back podcast as you can imagine uh just me talking about what i've done for the last 40 minutes uh thank you for sticking around and um yeah uh, follow me and there's more to come. So yeah, this is the first episode of Full Motion Game Dev, the game development podcast for niche genres and DIY game development. Thank you very much. I've been Nipbox. See ya.